Hello, everybody, and welcome to Croquis from Home. I'm your host, as always, Brandon Shell. You're listening to Epsilon Radio. And I'd like to welcome you to tonight's session. So um, for those who are new and for those who are returning, this is your time. Uh, the first 10 minutes of the recording, we take to set up for our life model and set up for our drawing. So we're going to take those uh, 10 minutes beginning now, and I'll just give you some f friendly reminders about what to look for and what to look out for and what to do and so on. Uh, actually, we've di we did it last week and we're going to do it again this week. Uh, the last 20 minute pose of this class will be taken over by an interview with an artist from New York, originally from Atlanta, and is working and living in Hoboken, which is just across the river in New Jersey. And she is a commercial artist. She's uh, well, uh, her background is well suited and solid. She went to SVA, School of Visual Arts, um, in New York, and that's originally why she moved there. And she's going to take the last 20 minutes and talk about her practice. And we interviewed her over the phone about a little over maybe a week ago or so. So I've pre-recorded that. Um, so she will take the last part of this course and give some tips and tricks. And in the meantime, uh, if you haven't been to the class before or you need a reminder, this is Croquis. And we take the first 10 minutes of the course starting at uh, 20 or 8 p.m. And we do five two-minute poses at which point we take a break and then we do four five minute poses and then we take another break and at that break is when the interview will begin and during that interview she will talk for the last 20 minutes and give out tips and tricks and I will talk to you guys one-on-one -on -one, um, monologuing as I always do and hoping to keep you guys interested uh, until that time so if you're using paper, get it ready. If you're using pencil, have those ready. Uh, pen, paint, whatever you're going to use. And uh, just as importantly, you want to set up for the model. So if you're going to be the model yourself, you at this point would like to uh, figure out, excuse me, figure out where they're going to stand in the room. Um, or whether they're going to sit in the room. Um, and then once you have them placed in a general area of the room, you want to then place the light in the room. So we always recommend uh, one source, especially for beginners, one strong source. And then the only rule about that is do not shine it into uh, the model's eyes, of course, for obvious reasons and also... Once you pick out where you're sitting, make sure that it's not shining in your eyes. So, we can do that now. And so I've been at the studio all day recording so many genres of shows. And I've been in Epsilon and working with people. So I'm, I'm a bit spent at this moment. And maybe you guys are too. Um, after a long work day, I know a lot of you have been working from home. If you have kids, then your kids have also been running around you in circles all day. You've been helping them with their homework. 
Uh, you've been doing all the practical things. Maybe you just ate dinner. Maybe you didn't eat dinner. Maybe you ordered in. Whatever the case is, um, if you haven't gotten a chance to exhale or use the creative side of your brain, if you're a left-thinking person, now is the time. So what we do sometimes in this class is we take both of our hands, <clears throat> we clap them together like that, we warm them up, and we gently smack the left side of our face, just like that, um, just to get that, bring attention to that part of our brain. Um, pseudoscience, not real science, but it just uh, speaks into our intentions for the next hour or so. So get the left side of that brain moving, start thinking about form and function and shadow and color and yeah, get all, all that beautiful, rich, kind of meaty, aesthetic things like nerd out about it that make you salivate as a creative person. Begin to get those ideas in your mind. Um, <clears throat> if you're into beauty, for beauty's sake, start thinking about beautiful things. If you're into um, ugly things or mm, broken things, get those into your mind. Um, also think about the composition of the room right now. Uh, where's the model? How much of the background are we going to include on our paper? Um, and so on. We do not include music in this programming. Epsilon um, plays radio and music for the majority of the day. And any excuse to uh, change the pace is uh, good for me um, and hopefully good for some of you. And for those who uh, prefer to listen to music while they draw, as always, we encourage you to uh, use Spotify in the background, uh, a bit lower than my voice, or vice versa, um, as far as using your phone to play music or the computer. I'm not sure uh, what you guys are using to listen to this program. Um, I'll admit that I've been pretty bad at archiving these, but I promise you they will be archived soon. Um, so in case you missed part of it, also this episode is always re-aired on Friday at the exact same time from 1950 until 9 p.m. So you can check us out then. And a little birdie actually told me that the app is on the way. So coming soon will be the Epsilon app and you will be able to listen to uh, the radio station directly from this app on your phone so it'll be easier to find us and I don't think it will have the complete archive of all of our programming but it will have m either the most recent or the most relevant or the most popular uh, segments from each episode so be sure to look out for that so um, also you can brew tea now or you can brew tea uh, during the break. Make sure you keep the model warm. Make sure there's a blanket. Make sure they're comfortable. Um, it's a mutual relationship, I guess, between you and the model. There's a level of trust. You take care of them and they take care of you by not moving. Um, so we've got uh, a little over two minutes left of setup. And for the model... Uh, begin to stretch, begin to uh, think about the edges of your form, the edges of your body, uh, your toes. Um, can you feel every toe? Can you feel every fingertip? Uh, rub the back of your head. Can you feel the tip of your head? Uh, are your shoulders relaxed? Um, do you need to stretch them now? Um, do you need to do some, I don't know, some type of stretching? Um, whatever suits you. 
And um, with these first gesture poses, as they're referred to, you are going to um, try to find the edges of your uh, expertise as well. So as the drawer, you are trying to find the edges of your paper and where the model begins and ends. And for the uh, model, you're doing the same thing, but with your actual body. So uh, now is the time to try to what try to try out what you believe to be uh, extremely difficult, because now is a time where the uh, investment is low. The the investment of uh, or the commitment to time is lower. Two minutes is not too bad, and it also gives you an idea of which poses are plausible for longer poses. So maybe you try something in two minutes and you think, oh, that was a breeze. Uh, maybe you try something in the first two minutes and you think, wow, that was hard. But if you pick that pose a bit later in the class, it's going to be hard to switch because the, you know, the drawer or the illustrator is already starting to put you down on paper. So with that being said, I'll take another sip of water. Yeah, and we've got uh, 30 seconds to go. So uh, model, you can start to get in place, take the last couple of stretches. I hope that the uh, illustrator has uh, gotten set up and is ready for you. And um, what you'll hear is my keys rattling. That was a sound we came up with, pretty simple, very uh, basic caveman style. Well, I guess they didn't have keys. Anyway, uh, 10 seconds and we're gonna start class. So, three, two, one, and let's begin. So, uh, two-minute poses, the uh, first of five on Epsilon Radio. So, we've, we've covered a lot of topics, actually, in these episodes. Um, form, shadow, um, aesthetics, furniture, um, style. And one thing we haven't covered is uh, where you draw and the medium that I always am a bit curious about, but I've never tried myself, is one that Ann Marshall, our guest on today's show, is very familiar with as a um, working commercial artist. And that is drawing directly uh, on an iPad or a phone and in the computer. So one-to-one. And uh, what you'll find out when you listen to our interview is it, for her, makes the most sense um, because she has deadlines as a commercial artist. Um, she has a lot of them. <laughs> and I think uh, most of her work sometimes is freelance. So it's easier than always. Um, now, this is me putting words in her mouth a bit, but I think it's easier than going through the trouble of trying to transfer it to a digital form. Um, I can say for myself, at times, making uh, art on a traditional piece of paper and then trying to figure out how to get that piece of paper onto a computer screen can be quite taxing. Uh, you can end up at the print shop. Uh, you can end up with a bad scan. You, What resolution do I use? What program will uh, input? What will happen to the colors when it inputs? Um, so you... you by using digital from the beginning, you can get rid of a lot of that headache. 
and it and if it's something to then be used for print i guess you pass on the buck to the poor graphic designer that has to uh do it correctly um she said that she actually misses the feel of the paper um i guess beneath her hand and it took her a while to get used to the screen um which which makes sense um there's something kind of I mean, talk about things, technology being intuitive, but you don't even have to use the word intuitive to realize that there's nothing more intuitive than making marks on a piece of paper. Um, probably the only probably form older than that is, you know, making marks on a on a cave or in a cave. Um, so just a reminder, I'll just do what I normally do. Um, and coach you guys through it actually it snowed today um, I'm sure all of you noticed uh, for those of you not in Denmark um, actually if you're in New York it's it, there was a huge blizzard uh, I know from looking at Instagram and that's not uncommon for this time of year in New York um, and we talked about it a bit before but when it snows and when the when it's cold colors change um, of course we know and we're taught that, um, fall brings new colors and, but winter does too. And, uh, there's a certain color to things freezing and reflecting off of the snow. Um, I mean, right now it's, it's dark outside here in Denmark. Um, but maybe there's a, a reflection off the snow and the, the tree in the window, um, so keep him if you for those of you drawing with color we're going to switch poses so this will be the third one of the first five um for those of you drawing or illustrating with color or in color um keep that in mind while you're while you're drawing and if you remember or if you haven't listened to yet uh, we interviewed uh, Judith Yaws last week and she talked about how um, using the pigment red as a midtone in her drawings and then using white as a highlight on off-white paper. Um, there's a really good example uh, on our Instagram, Epsilon CPH, um, and just look, go scroll back, not too far, scroll back to last week and you'll see this beautiful drawing um, of, a, of a woman a female uh, holding her head up in uh, hues of red and um, a burgundy red and some highlights in white and uh, outline and uh, some gray uh, graphite. And the reason I bring that up is because even though she's only using those three colors, she is alluding to some warm colors without just by the shade of paper, just by the shade of the red pen, even though, of course, in that example, the uh, red pen is neutral. So if you haven't checked that out, um, go check that out. I promise I will get that episode up on the archive uh, sometime in the next days. Um, we've been still running, not as fast as we were at Christmas time, but we've still just been running 100 miles an hour um, here at the radio station and trying to make content, make content, make content. So, uh, Alex is doing a better job of it. Um, 
So this is going to go to the next pose. Uh, but I haven't done the best job of archiving um, everything. But I promise I'll get to it and it will come up uh, on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. When, when Anne began uh, talking about her art, it, her art didn't necessarily m remind me of another artist, but when she started talking about uh, moving from a uh, pencil and a sketchbook, or excuse me, pen and a sketchbook to uh, a screen, it brought to mind another artist uh, who I'm quite fond of. Um, oh my goodness, I just completely, completely forgot his name, which is funny. Oh no, um, <laughs> David Hockney. Um, so I'll, I'll uh, I guess, salivate over D David Hockney um, for a little while, uh, this first half hour of the show, before we get to Anne's work. And if again, if you hear some clicking... It's me clicking around in the computer screen. Libraries are still closed, so I don't personally own any David Hockney books, uh, although I would like to. Um, and I also would love to obviously have a David Hockney, completely out of my price range. But um, I do remember uh, I had the uh, audacity or the pleasure of going to a art auction Um while I was living in London, not at any of the the big houses, not at the big houses, um, but there are, uh, so not Sotheby's or Christie, obviously, I can't afford that, but there are smaller auction houses that you can um, get some decent art for uh, around a thousand pounds or 1300 euros. I didn't have that money either. I just uh, had been studying for a while. Right, I shorted you guys 10 seconds on that one, but that's okay. So this is the last uh, of the poses before we take a five-minute break. So I um, was studying and learning about auction houses in my master's degree, and I wanted to, uh, I don't remember, but I just remember like needing some type of, uh, what do you call it, like buyer psychology or bios, uh, buyers, um, you know, this term for buying things to make yourself feel better. I'm not a big shopper, but anyway, I thought like I want to get a piece of artwork and I was following, there's a specific app that uh, collects all the data from all the auction houses, the small ones and the largest one, and tells you about upcoming auctions. And there was a duplication and poster art um, auction coming up at, I think, um, what did, what was this house called? So there's... So the big three auction houses are Sotheby's, Christie's, and Phillips. And then the fourth one, probably tied with the fifth one, is, uh, is um, I just had the name in it, Bonhams. So Bonhams had this uh, auction for um, posters. And um, I went there. And the reason I'm getting, basically there was a Hockney that I couldn't afford, but I also thought it was just a nice story. So I uh, decided it was raining. I had looked in the auction, uh, what was coming up, and got in my head that I wanted something. I needed something, some type of art. You know, I've been studying it for so long. Uh, it was raining, and that's always a good time to go. 
to an auction house because usually people, some people are deterred by the rain. So this is going to be a five minute break. So what you want to do in this break is keep the model warm. Uh, give them some tea if you made it. Give them a blanket. Uh, if you have one, cover them up. And you want to, at the same time, maybe flex your wrist. Uh, make high fives and stretch them with your hand. I don't know if that makes sense. But just kind of flex your hands, stretch out. Get the blood flowing. If you want to smack yourself in the side of the, the cheek again, uh, on the left side, um, you can do that. So I was super nervous, but I had seen maybe five things that I felt thought I could afford um, for like a couple hundred pounds. Um, and I had a good feeling about, you know, what I was doing. You know, there, there are all these fees on top of what you put the hammer prices. So the hammer price is what you hammer for. So you, you know, like what you imagine somebody's up there and they're saying 100 110 115 blah, blah, blah. this sir and you are giving me the number and it's all this back and forth but on top of that is usually like a 20 percent uh buyer's fee um sometimes a bit more sometimes a bit less depending on the the, the margin um so you have to be careful uh if you're going to go to auction so anyway i went to this auction wanted to see the 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 things I had seen pictures of in person, see what they were actually, the size of them. I mean, it's hard when somebody just gives you the measurements. Um, on a screen, it's kind of hard to visualize. Um, so I had in mind these five things. The first thing went so high, so fast, I forgot what it was, that I definitely could not afford it. Um, and then this kept happening, so... I didn't even get to bid before I could even like get my ballot up or they don't really give you like, I imagine like this kind of hard thing with a number in it, like a movie. And I've got it like tucked in my suit jacket. I did, was not wearing a suit uh, and I pull it out and he calls out my number. That wasn't the case. So I'm losing. Like basically I haven't even gotten like my, I haven't even gotten to throw my hat in the ring. Um, and we get down, we're at like 100 lots in maybe, not 100, maybe it was only like, so they do them on different days. So let's say there was 30 lots in, 30 lots in on this specific day. There's two things left. I can only afford one of them. So I, if I bid on the thing I want less, the first thing or the next thing up, I can't afford the last thing, the fifth thing, which I wanted a lot, which was a uh, Victor Vassarelli um, graphic uh, abstract uh, print. I think it's a silk screen. So the, the earlier one that I kind of want comes up and nobody bids. And I thought, okay, I can bid. I can, I can bring this home with me. I can bring this home with me. And, uh, but if I bid on that, I can't afford the one I really want, this Victor Vassarelli uh, graphic design print. So I made the decision at that point to let the first one go. So that one goes. Uh, also at the time, my good friend from school was with me. I said, I think I'm going to buy something at auction. I've never done it before. 
I don't know. I kind of know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm actually doing, but you got to come with me. So my friend Mary came with me, get to the auction house. We're sitting there. So this last thing comes up. Boom. Victor Vassarelli, blah, blah, blah. This year, uh, yada, yada, yada. It's like seven people in the room. Nobody bids. So I'm like, okay, this is happening. I can do this. I raised my hand. I couldn't, I don't even know where the hell I put the, put the uh, ballot or whatever it was. It was just kind of like, imagine when you run and they give you like that number on your chest. It was like that quality of paper and those numbers. Um, so I put my hand up. My heart is like pumping, pumping blood. I can't hear anything. Um, somebody else bids. I bid. And somebody else bids and I think I bid one more time and I was like okay this is it can't afford anything more than this keep in mind this is like a couple hundred pounds at most um and I won and then uh I know it isn't exciting as I thought it would be all right so these are the last uh these are the next five poses uh, excuse me four poses of five minutes and then the interview is just going to start right away on uh, some jingling keys, and it's just going to go out. So I'm not going to uh, have an outro separate from the phone interview with uh, Ann Marshall. Um, so I win this uh, print. I'm super excited. Everybody in the room is like, they got me by like 30 years, right? Um, they just do this all the time, whatever, like. You know, I'm the new kid on the block. Obviously, in retrospect, I realized they didn't bid on it because for them it had no value. It's not like... Uh, so Victor Vassarelli is the kind of founder or well-known for uh, opt art. And opt art is uh, this art in which you have optical illusions. So uh, kind of like what you had in a, a children's book. I think they were popular when I was in like the fifth or sixth grade where you stare at something and then you see something else in it. Um, which I'm not a fan of it at all. I didn't know who Victor Vassarelli was at the time I learned afterwards, but I just really liked this graphic. Um, so obviously if people were there and they were collectors, they didn't necessarily want this one because it wasn't representative of, uh, Victor Vassarelli's work, whether it was a poster or a print or whatever, or how rare it was, it just wasn't representative of Victor Vassarelli. I didn't know who it was. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the colors were nice. I thought the layout was amazing. Uh, and I wanted it. Um, that person that was bidding on it with me was actually the auctioneer. Um, and what happens is uh, the auctioneer is also allowed to um, bid on the painting as the same as you are. So uh, so when I would make a bid, he would make a bid right away. And that's kind of why I wasn't like really picking up on it because it's just like, all right, you have the floor. I got the floor. You got the floor. I got the floor. Um, so in that middle point, I actually ended up spending more than I wanted to because he had made a bid in between somehow. Um, and they're allowed to bid for themselves or behalf of their clients. And it's kind of like part of the, uh, tricks or not tricks, um, perks of the job. Um, of course they have to buy it, but they are also salespeople. So if they have a client that is interested, they can bid on behalf of the client. 
Um, there's also something called um, minimums. So the same as if you've ever bid anything on like eBay or something, it's the same thing. There's like a minimum. So um, you have to check that if you're going to go to auctions too. So there might be a minimum. So even though the price starts at 100 uh, and you go back and forth, there might be a minimum set at 200. So until the price goes over 200 um, uh, or reserve is what it's called, nobody can have it. So it has to go over the 200 mark. Usually it's set, if there is a reserve, it's set to like a, just a little bit below um, the starting, uh, the starting price is set a little bit below um, the reserve and that's to kind of read the room and see what's going on and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I, uh, got so excited and I just spent all this, what I thought was a lot of money. And some of you listening might think it's a lot of money. And some of you may also think it's not a lot of money, but for me, it was this huge deal, this big experience. And you have to collect, um, the painting, uh, upon leaving, you're not allowed to leave it there. You have to set up shipping before you go. And I went basically to their basement and I thought like, you know, this is a prestigious, um, auction house. They're gonna, I don't know, use the finest like tracing paper and vellum to cover up this thing. So they don't touch it with their hands and they're going to like wear these white gloves and, and they're gonna, it's in this like chamber where there's no dust. And, and they literally, it was, it was like, it was like picking up a package from the, uh, the supermarket. It was like literally going to the local delicatessen and, uh, okay, this is the next pose. You got two more. Uh, it was literally like going to the delicatessen. They had like this, uh, it was essentially their break room. Like, so <laughs> it was their lunchroom, uh, and they had a, a, a window cut out, like Ikea window that went to, um, the supply room and they came out with my, uh, my, uh, what I thought was extremely valuable poster and they, uh, with, without gloves on placed it down and said, here you go. Just, just completely on the table, nothing in between. And of course, I was like, um, do you, do you have something? Like, do you, can I, do you have, are you going to wrap it? And they just, the helper, I don't know if it was an intern, she just kind of rolled her eyes and she was like, oh. And she luckily, I guess in quotation marks, had like some cardboard uh, that they use for shipping. Uh, and she gave me like, two pieces and just threw up the deuces and was like peace and uh me and then i had to ask for a bag uh, so they gave me a shopping bag that was big enough to hold it in and uh so then in their lunch room in their break room me and uh my friend wiped down uh the table as best as we could uh their lunch table and wrapped it in these two pieces of cardboard taped it on the edges with some brown shipping tape put it in a in a oversized shopping bag from what could have been h&m uh and i went home with it and uh luckily now it's uh hanging on my wall uh it's definitely one of my favorite pieces it's probably my only uh 
piece of art that has any kind of name or attached to it at all. And I know I was supposed to talk about David Hockney, but but because she talked about that and now I'm working, um, I have this urge to go back to an auction and find a David Hockney. And of course, I can't find a real painting, but there are posters. So if you think about like exhibition posters, for instance, sometimes those come up on auction. Um, and when they come up on auction, because they're usually not numbered, you can uh, you can probably get one um, for not, I mean, not uh, somewhere between eating out every day and one month of rent. So I can say for myself, I'm really into art. So for me, that's a good value for somebody else. They maybe prefer uh, going to the movies for a month. Um, but uh, oof, I, I went off on a tangent just to tell that story. But anyway, um, David Hockney is a well decorated artist decorated is a bad word but he he's lived a long time i think he's still alive i think he might be in his 90s let me double check wikipedia quickly um he has worked in every single medium almost imaginable um and his color my favorite part of david hockney is his color palette and for the easiest way or the most colloquial way to describe david hockney's color palette is los angeles california um, which is where he did a lot of his work. Um, and if you know anything about Los Angeles, California, um, I've been there two or three times. I can't remember. Uh, one time for fun, well, work slash fun, and one time for just work. Um, as much as, as fast as the sun sets for us here in the north and also in New York and also in Denmark, it takes forever to set in California, probably because it's on the ocean, probably because it's a bit more southern. The climate is warmer and it just you can feel the warmth of the colors um, when you're in California. And there is this aura of just peace and like tranquility. Which probably comes a bit from the people, too. I mean, that is what the stereotypical Californian person is known for. But I don't, it's like, for me, it's, I don't know which one came first. So it's like this chicken or the egg um, scenario. Okay, so we got 15 seconds, 10 seconds. All right, now 10 seconds um, before the next pose. And that's going to be the last one. Um of the five. So, uh, David Hockney, great artist, uh, lives in California. I'm just trying to figure out if he's still living. I'm pretty sure he's still living and I think he's in his late eighties or early nineties. Um, I saw, okay, he's not that old. He's from 37. Um, the reason I want you guys to look at a David Hockney painting is, uh, or drawing or whatever is because his, his, his color palette is unquestionably amazing, absolutely amazing. And the hues 
directly reflect, I think, the climate of California. Um, the sky is not blue. It's blue-purple. The sunrise is not red. It's neon orange. And if you say that, then you think you end up with this kind of abstract interpretive thing. But because he's consistent through all his work with these neutrals that are actually these bright neon colors, you get used to it and they be become, for me, uh, plausible, um, especially once you get to, uh, if you've ever been to California. Um, so David Hockney was maybe, as far as famous artists, one of the early adapters of um, drawing digitally and transferring um, his normal oil paint traditional process to a screen, probably, arguably, before the iPad was even ready for it. Um, and he did portraits, and he used his finger or his stylus, I think it's his finger, um, and, you know, like, maybe there was 12 different brush sizes and four or five textures, and he would do that and then, uh, and, uh, and, and draw with it. And, and somehow he was able to use the same colors. Like, and he built these uh, drawings and these portraits in the same way that he would um, his paintings. And Anne will talk about that as a bit with you guys as well. Is it's funny that um, you realize that these things and these advances in technology are still just tools that you have to master. And whether you're mastering uh, uh, analog uh, thing, like like we most of us are doing right now, and we're using paper and pen and oil painting. If you switch to digital. Um, the same rules apply, and that's through all mediums. When you're touching buttons in Instagram, you're, those are inspired by different cameras. They may have switched the names for marketing, they're different, different lenses. They're inspired by uh, different lights, different filters, so on and so forth. And it just speaks again to the fact that our references we can technology can go, only go as far as our references go. Um, so if you do yourself a favor and look at if if you're if you're biased, and I know even for me, you can have a stigma about drawing digitally and what that means. Look at Hockney and the way he is manipulated. Um, this technology and literally bent it to it to his will. Um, it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, the uh, I believe it was the Tate uh, twenty seconds to go on this pose, guys. Um, I believe it was the Tate that had a retrospective. So retrospective is all his work, his most of his life's work. Um, I think they had it four years ago or so. 
Okay. So this is the last of five poses, if I did this correctly. Oh, my math is a bit off. We had 10 minutes of setup. Then we had five, two minutes, a five minute break. One, two, three. Yeah, so this is the last of the five minute poses. I went off on a tab. We've been talking about auction houses and the weather and David Hockney. Um, so David Hockney, you can follow his whole career. Um, the earlier stuff, which isn't as available, which was nice to see at Tate, is you can see the evolution of his uh, his hand. Uh, you can see some of the commission work that he did for uh, people that hired him. Anne does that as well. She has a really funny story that I'm not going to ruin for you about uh, doing this kind of work and working with people that want a drawing of their children or them or giving yeah i'm not going to ruin it so stay tuned for for the information about that um oh also uh after this episode we started artists in residency and uh i'm basically trying to kidnap epsilon radio on wednesday nights as a creative night art night uh contemporary art night abstract art night so croquis is starting us off directly after this uh, today and also on Friday, a replay um, is Amelia Bergmark. And Amelia Bergmark is a uh, artist, uh, contemporary artist, fine artist, using a lot of sound and scripting, also a bit of visual elements, uh, originally from Sweden. Study at the Royal Danish Academy um, here in uh, Copenhagen. I met her some years ago at her uh, master's thesis show where she won an award. She did a podcast that I was doing at the time uh, before I started Epson Radio. We've remained uh, in touch since. Um, and she had some shows that uh, were canceled this year, obviously for the reason everything was canceled this year. And I convinced her to be the first resident on Epson Radio uh, in four parts. So she's adapted... She's adapted some of her work. Excuse me. It's so hard to talk for so long. Um, she's adapted some of her work uh, specifically for the radio. Uh, it's going to play um, directly after this croquis class um, with an intro by me, obviously, yours truly. Uh, and they, they range in length. So uh, we've blocked out a half hour or so. They'll probably, some are a bit shorter, some are a bit longer. And uh, she deals a lot with... Uh, working working class problems and uh but applied to appliances um and if that doesn't make sense it will once you listen um so i can really encourage you to uh after this class is over directly listen to amelia burkmark and she has such a unique way of thinking and writing and she's funny and she gets it and she's witty and it truly come her personality truly comes across in her artwork um it's easy to follow. It's a narration. It's a monologue. Um, I'm not going to give too much away. So that's coming directly after Ann Marshall. And uh, with this last minute, before we take a break and the interview starts, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for being with us. And I want to thank you for supporting uh, Epsilon Radio. 
Uh, it's been fun doing this Crow Key class. It's been fun DJing as well. I DJ here on the station um, on the weekends from time to time when when time allows. Um, if you have any questions for us, if you want to get in touch, if you want to give some comments, critiques, suggestions, please, please do. Uh, radio at Epsilon CPH dot DK. Okay. Um, I think I covered everything. I think I covered everything. Uh, be nice to your model. Be nice to yourself. Uh, and uh, 30 seconds to go and uh, take a break. And then I will instruct you uh, from a pre-recorded interview. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. So this is the break. We have a five-minute break. And then we have a special guest today. Um all the way from New York, who is going to, I'm going to interview for five minutes and Marshall, and then she's going to kind of lead the class for the last 20 minute pose. Um, so, Anne, welcome to Epsilon Radio and welcome to Croquis Life Drawing Class. How are you? I am very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, let's start at the beginning. I guess you are living in New York. Have, did you grow up in New York? No, I actually grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And then I, I came up here to go to school of visual arts and I have stayed. Okay. And did you, um, okay. You know, New York is my hometown. So I'm kind of like, Oh yeah. I grew up in Yakas. As we Yonker. say. Yakas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I lived in Brooklyn for a while. So how, how long have you been in New York now? How many years? Uh, probably like 20 years at this point. And I'll, it's been uh, a while. So the, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. Okay. But then so, you can call you. Yeah. I mean, then you're a real yeah. New Yorker. Um, yes. And then, um, so, I mean, I'll, before we even get to the artwork, the question I always used to get, especially when I first moved here and I was still making art, is what is it like to be an artist in New York? And I'm sure my listeners are, like, drooling by the speakers to wait, wait for you to, like, explain just a quick overview of what it's like to be a creator in New York. Huh. It's actually pretty <laughs> different. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people have... Um, there's still sort of the romantic vision of like maybe the 1970s, like you're living in a garret in Soho or, yeah. you know, you have your giant loft apartment. Yeah. Um, those are now all occupied by bankers and finance types. Yeah. Like this whole like, and, Andy Warhol warehouse. Uh, yes. Yeah. And Annie, yeah. is it who just did that documentary with Scorsese where she's just romanticizing New York in the 70s as well? Oh, is it Fran Lebowitz? Yeah, Fran Lebowitz. And then also that book that came out some like five years ago. Oh, that just, was just Friends or something? Was that it? I never uh, just Kids by just Patty kids. Smith. Oh, my I, God. I highly recommend that book. That's yeah. a beautifully written book. Um, but that period of time has passed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah. I occupy, actually, I'm a little bit more on the commercial end Um, in the sense that I've always, I work commercially. Um, Right now I have a, um, I'm technically a contract worker, but I do an art job, um, which in some ways you basically have to do to survive in the city now, um, unless you're one of the very, very top blue chip gallery artists. Um, Just the cost of living and your overhead here is, is, is hard. So there it's no longer, you can, you know, wait tables two days a week and live in a loft. Yeah. Um, what, that, uh, what neighborhood are you living in or what borough? Well, okay. Here's, here's where it gets technical. And you, as a New Yorker, you want to chide me for this. Uh, I am in Hoboken. 
Ah, so, okay. right. yeah, yeah. So I live right across the river from the West Village, yeah. um, but technically I live in the state of New Jersey. But I always say New York because people just know that. You know, I, mean, I, I um, said Yonkers because it's you. Uh, but yes. I, I usually just say Brooklyn. Yes, um, yes. And if you've been there 20 years, who cares? And also, I'm not yeah. like, I'm technically not officially a New Yorker anymore because I think I've been gone six years now. And also, uh-huh. I, and also I gave up my driver's license. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, and I haven't been in a while. And my neighborhood looks nothing like it did when I left. So I can't even really say. Um, oh, yeah. The condification of the areas is interesting. Like the whole waterfront of my town has been developed, and it used to be like, you know, old decrepit ports and oh, empty true. factories. Yes. You know, and, and yes, and so those have now been raised, and like some of the developments are really nice, like parks, yeah. and um, and then you know, of course, like tons and tons of luxury condos. Yeah, and then but there's uh, still us artists here. <laughs> well, good. And then, all right. So, what did you actually study at SVA? Did you study um, illustration or fine art? I, I did. I studied illustration. If you were interested in figurative art when I was going to school, the illustration department actually had a better grounding in traditional skills. Okay. Like you did a lot of figure studies, you did these long poses, we would have six hour like oil painting classes. It was very academic, okay. which I think has its pros and cons. Okay. Um, pros, it's like you really develop a skill level. Cons, it can sort of squash creativity. And some people get so obsessed with being perfect, they can never get out of that trap. Right. Um, and would they push you more to finding your own style or would they... Would, were you supposed to be realistic? Hold on. Don't answer the question because we got 10 seconds. So 10 seconds, okay. guys. And then uh, you're going to start the last poses. Uh, so the last pose is 20 minutes, as you guys already know. And it's starting now. And uh, you can split it into two 10-minute poses or you can do one 20-minute pose. And Anna's going to stay with us and we're going to finish talking about her work. And then she's going to give you guys some tips about how to illustrate and draw. Um and also, if you're the model, uh, make sure that you pick when you pick the last pose, make sure it's a comfortable one, um, because the most important thing is that you don't move and that you're warm. So but you guys already know that already. All right. So and uh, answer the question, if you even remember what. OK, <laughs> what yes, was. yes. It was about like, did they put you um, not? Well, there was definitely a preference for realism and it became sort of competitive and I would say oppressive. And by the time I was out, I, I really wanted to break free of it. I had a teacher who used to come by and he would if he told you your work was expressive, that was a that was damnation. Like that well, was, it was very a negative bad. connotation. Yeah, it had a negative. He would come by and he would pause and he would say, your work is very expressive. Oh, no. And then, yeah, okay. yeah. And and then, you know, he would move along. And so it's interesting to see what happened to people like the graduates, you know, five or six years afterwards. And, and people did go on to develop their own styles. Okay. But with... But I do think that foundation of drawing and painting like serves you very, very well. You just you do have to kind of break away from it and develop your own thing. Um, And some people do and some people don't. But uh, yes, I had an academic background. And um, and what is uh, so now you say you're on the commercial side. Like, how does a how do what do you illustrate? What are you asked to illustrate? I know, like, uh, on your website, there's a lot of, um, I guess, portraits or of uh, kind of well-known politicians and and, mm-hmm. and yeah famous people. i 
Yeah, those were kind of a personal project. Like I, I worked as a portrait artist for a while, um, which is sort of a, a dying field, um, but uh, some people still do it. Um, but I got frustrated with commissioned work because everyone wants to be very pretty and to smile and you, you end up kind of getting art directed into a ditch and I was producing work I really wasn't happy with. Okay. Um, and so I kind of went into other things for a while, but I actually, I love drawing portraits. Okay. I do. Um, so the politicians became a way to draw imperfect people, which is when I got older, I was more interested in that than sort of the you know, ideal versions of beauty and the politicians and also the United States at the time, we were going through a very <laughs> tumultuous period politically. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it became a way for me to sort of process some of it and um, also look at people as highly flawed human beings, um, you know, pro and con, but it was the imperfection of everyone that was fascinating to me. And that's why I was kind of drawn towards them versus, you know, t- typical celebrities or okay. um, models. And then when uh, you would um, when you would get a commission, I'm just curious. And now I'm just yeah. asking questions that I yeah. want to know. When you get a commission, what are like? And they want you to smile, or they want to see themselves smile. Is it them and their children? Like, is it old school? Are they? Is it them and their dog? Like, what is? Uh, I I, I got hired mostly for people's kids, which is okay. which was always a um, a commission that I favored okay. um, because most people are delighted with pictures of their children. Um, it's always easier to do a portrait commission where you're hired to paint someone else. Okay. It gets very tricky with adults because of everyone's very complicated relationship with their own appearance. Mm, okay. And, and so sometimes you get, you know, of course you want to, I mean, it's a commissioned work, so you want to flatter to a certain extent, but stop the line at being like unrealistic. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, you want people the best versions of themselves, but still they're themselves. That's something I always like strove for. Okay. Um, but with adults, it does get tricky. And, um, and then sometimes the worst ones were like gift pictures for another adult of that, of the person themselves. Okay. And then. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Time out. So somebody yeah. would commission you to draw them so that they could give that picture of themselves to somebody else as a gift. No, no, I'm sorry. Like that was a tricky thing. Ah, like, okay. Let's, okay. let's say for good, example, there's a, a husband and he wants a present for his wife. Yeah. And so he hires me to paint her. Okay. Um, and, and sometimes it goes well, but then sometimes it, it, and it has nothing to do with the art. It's just a little bit of, yes, I don't know. People have very complicated, uh, again, relationships of how they look. Okay. And so trying to nail that down was was tricky. And, and so children were always easier. Um, sometimes the deceased were easier, but that's that's usually where my work fell. Okay, okay. All right, and then um, I guess we, should we go into um, your style a bit or your medium? What, uh, just generically, like what medium do you prefer? Okay, I I really prefer drawing over painting. Like I am definitely someone who falls more into that camp. Um, when I worked more traditionally, I really liked pastels, and I developed a method of where I did this kind of combination of pastel and collage, okay. which is really beautiful and which people liked, but which was impossible to sell <laughs> okay. um, because people were worried about archival quality of of the collage paper, and then. Okay, say if a family has oil paintings they're commissioning of their kids, they want something that matches the other pictures. Okay. So if it's a different medium. And the other thing that I had trouble with was my work kind of straddled contemporary and modernism, and people want you to fall into one category or the other. 
Okay. Like they want you to be a modern artist or they want you to be a traditional artist. And if you blend the two, it, they don't know what to do with you. Um, but I did those for a while. And then um, now I work mostly because of my commercial work. I mo- mostly work on the iPad Pro Okay. just because um, it allows me to draw. I can work at any scale. And the amount of volume of work I have to do, um, it's, it allows me to work quickly and to med- make edits quickly and to um, send things out quickly, which is, is my job. And what are the similarities and uh, differences? We'll do the similarities first between drawing on digitally on an iPad and drawing with, I guess, uh, archival or uh, normal medium or paper and pen. Well, what's great about, I use a program called Procreate. And what's great about it and the Apple Pencil is the technology is now good enough. It's very, very, very sensitive. So you can get you can get the variety of line. You can you can really like push stroke weight. Okay. Um, you can um, you can get almost any sort of surface texture that you want. Um, so visually, it's very good. It takes a while to get used to the feel. I have to admit, I do miss the the toothiness of paper. I get a lot of pleasure of like running that drawing material down. Like I'm, I'm a fan of rough paper over smooth. Okay. And getting okay. used to the glass front was a little bit hard. The advantages of the iPad, obviously, are editing capabilities. Yeah. And yeah. so I love pen art, which is like if you look at the drawings that I've been doing recently, they come, they derive from some pen drawings that I was doing. And when I was back in school and I needed to become a better artist because I wasn't happy with my skill level, I would draw all the time. And that include drawing on the subway. Yeah. And I would, I would hold my little sketchbook and I would draw people tr- secretly. Yeah. <laughs> you would try to be as discreet as possible. And the iteration, like I really recommend, like if you're trying to improve your drawing to um, short, quick poses will help you get better faster. And, and how short are we, how short are we talking? Like what, uh, how many minutes? Uh, circle? Well, I, you know, I, I still do a lot of like practice drawings. There's a lot okay. of figure drawing available online. Um, so I'll do, you know, sometimes 10 ones, five twos. When I was on the subway, it was as long as they sat there. And yeah. sometimes <laughs> it was 10 minutes and sometimes it was three yeah. minutes and it forced you to kind of get them down as quickly as possible and then fill out details as you can before they get off the train. Yeah, of course. Um, and I used a pen for those because, of course, you can't pull out your sharpener and you can't – and pencils would get crushed in your bag or, yeah. the, you know, the point would get dull. So I started using a ballpoint pen. And my favorite is actually that Bic 4 color pen. With the- oh, like the one from, like, grades from grammar school? <laughs> Like, yeah, it's yeah, like okay. four colors. It's red, blue, green, green and, and black. Black, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what's nice about it as a drawing tool is it actually has a really, you can get a really fine line with it if you like working with a fine line. And it, it, it doesn't bleed very much. Like it's, it's, my, it's my favorite like drugstore drawing pen. And I would draw with that. And um, <laughs> at one point when I was looking over my work again, like after years and kind of survey, I, I realized that I really liked the, um, the spontaneity of those drawings. And, and it was like, well, how do I take these further to the next step? Like, how can I develop these a little bit more? And the iPad kind of let me do that where I could do this line work and then lay color on it. And, um, and because I have a art day job, my personal work has to be finished. I have to work around and fit in my personal work. And the iPad allows me to pick it up and work wherever I am. And I, tra- in, in non-COVID times, I travel for my job. Okay. And so... I can just pull it, I can do some work, and then upload it, and, would, and that's good. I would imagine there's also a step that's cut out. I mean, the hardest part, or the 
what can be annoying is like having the drawing or whatever it is and then having to figure out how to scan it and get it digital. Yes. So I imagine that yeah. like gets a lot of that headache out. Yeah. Because if it's already yeah. in the final medium, I would, yeah. Yes, that, yes. Is that so fair what to I'm, say? Yeah. Yes, uh, okay. absolutely. Like at my job, I have to rapidly turn things around and they're getting emailed all over. And of course, we're all working remotely. And so like that just saving the step of being able to hit send and have it be in the format you need it to be immediately and then send it to whoever needs it, that is, it's almost a requirement. Okay. Um, and the other thing about like Procreate, which is nice, is you can save the lines on a separate layer. It's a lot like Photoshop where you work in layers. Um, but the, the, the skills that you use are the same because it's still the same mode of thinking. It is, it is some people are anti-digital work, but just because you can use word processing doesn't mean you can write a novel. Yeah, it's just a tool. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's a tool. And, and this is the same. You still need drawing skills. The computer does not do the work for you. But it does help with editing and then working a little faster. Okay. Uh, I will say that. I'll say quickly. All right, guys. So you have uh, your first 10 minutes is a bit over. And then this is the last 10 minutes of the class. So model, if you want to switch, you should switch now. And uh, we're going to keep talking um, to keep. So then, um, but do you build it up in the same way? Like, it, are you doing it? Are you starting from the lightest hues and going to the darkest? Or does it not matter when it's digital? Is it all on layers anyway? Like, how do you build up? So where do you start? I, st I still will work lighter. Like, I kind of start to, like, the, the, I'll work with a really light, fine line and kind of build the form out. Okay. And figure it out that way. Um, and then I will do the, where you kind of, work and then you go in you know with the dark lines um i sort of made a rule for myself with like when I'm, I'm doing my current work it's like i just work in line and so i have to build the form with these like hatch marks okay. as i would with a ballpoint pen um but it is still a light to dark um i tend to start with the face which is um just because that's what i'm most interested in and also because i have a tendency for the features to grow <laughs> as i work on them okay. <laughs> so <laughs> So that's if I can nail that down, then the rest of the drawing is usually okay. Um, uh, but that's where I like to start. All right. And then um, have you done, I know, are you drawing sometimes from, are you still drawing sometimes from life? Are you still going on the train every once in a while? And Not now yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in New York, like public transportation is, is, is empty and everyone's masked up anyway. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, I can't really see anybody's face. Um, so I, I don't, I actually don't take that much to public transportation right now. Um, what I have been doing is like live drawing classes online, which is not the same, but which is better than nothing. Okay. No. Yeah. And uh, do you have like, uh, without putting you on the spot, do you have like some advice for the people drawing at home now? Do you have like a couple tips that you would give them? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll. I'll say, um, like what I said earlier, the best way to get better is to just draw as much as you can. Um, one of the tips that I learned was if you have a little mirror, like if, if you're looking at your drawing and something is wrong and you don't know what it is, take a mirror, like a little pocket mirror or a small handheld mirror, or just bring your drawing over to a mirror and look at its reflection. This will be kind of shocking the first time you do it, but it'll give you a fresh, it's almost like putting your drawing in a drawer for three weeks and then pulling it out, and it'll allow you to look at your drawing with fresh eyes. And then you can kind of see what's going on with it. Because 
um, it, it, it just gives you a fresh view. It can be hard the first time because you think it's going well, but then you look at the reflection and you're like, wow, this is a terrible drawing. But it, it will help you nail down any issues that you have. Um, that would be one tip I would give. And then the second is like, I wouldn't worry so much about style. I would just keep drawing and your style will emerge. Um, and, um, and then I, again, I, I, while learning to draw, I do tend to favor faster poses. I find they're like more energetic and they help a little bit more when you're still in the finding phase. Okay. And then, um, so for instance, like your, uh, the ones on your website, those are the finished ones. How long do those take you usually? Um, if they go well, half a day, half a day, and, like, okay. yeah, yeah. Like three, you know, or maybe like three or four hours. Um, you know, all creative work is some is unpredictable. Some of them come out smoothly and they're perfect. And some of them I end up fighting with the whole day because there's just something that's not working <laughs> and, and I will, I will have to do that. But my current project, I'm sort of time boxing. Like I'm making a goal of like one a day and I have to do it in whatever time I have. And sometimes that's all day. Sometimes that's an hour, but I still have to do it. And then um, we've got five minutes to go, but do you want to give, it's always good to give the models um, some advice as well. Have, actually, before we even ask that, have you ever, has anybody ever caught you looking at them on the train and drawing them? Oh, absolutely. And what is their what is their reaction? <laughs> well, sometimes as soon as they as soon as they see me, I stop drawing them okay. and I pretend like I wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kind of like look the other way and I'll stop at that point. Like once I'm noticed, then I I drop it. Um, I have had a few people like tell me that it's rude and I don't ever want to do that. I I try to pick people. A lot of people who are asleep <laughs> or yeah. kind of nodding yeah. off. Um, okay. I will never draw someone directly in front of me, always kind of to the side and down yeah. the train car a little bit. So yeah. it, um, as, a, as a young, like when I was doing that a lot, I was a young woman, so I wasn't a threatening person. Where I can imagine if you were like an older man or someone who's a little bit larger, that might be seen as creepy. Right. But um, I, it was usually okay. Uh, but I would I would ever stop if anybody either saw me or was uncomfortable by it. I had it. Um, I used to do it when I was in college. I went to FIT, and um, mm -hmm. uh, one sometimes people would catch me and they would actually like pose. Yeah, yeah, uh, that luck that happens. Luckily, I never got anybody tell me to stop. And then I realized when I got a bit older that if I went to um, the L train. It, mm -hmm. I think it can be more than one train street, but I used to just go to L train on Bedford and you can mm -hmm. see all the way across the tracks. So you can see, mm -hmm. so the bench on the other side of the tracks is close enough for you to see, but nobody can see that you're drawing. So I would oh, just, I would just sit there and then four people would always come and sit down like across from me. Like, so I always had four models and they had no clue that I was drawing them because there was trains passing in the middle. They didn't really look up. They were always like looking off in the distance. So like the, I, I had the same as you, like when I would draw on the train, it was always a bit weird because at some point they're going to turn around or they're going to move or whatever. But yeah. then I found that when I sat on those 
it was like the wooden benches. I don't even know if they're still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And then I looked yeah. all the way across. <laughs> they couldn't see me, but I could see them. And it was so great because they were all, you know how people in New York are. They don't really look at anybody else. And they're always like lean. No. They don't move, which is. No, yeah. no. And you get all these great shapes. On occasion, if someone saw and if they liked it, I would just tear out the drawing and give it to them. Because oh. <laughs> I, I worked on these. Well, I work on these like I, I had these like six inch sketchbooks that would fit in my bag. And I like the spiral bound because that way they would fold all the way over. Okay. Like I didn't have the. And so I would just give it to them, you know, because I have I have drawers full of these things. And then, you know, and sometimes that that would that would make their day. They would be very, very happy about it. Um, and uh, but it, it actually really did help me improve. And um, I don't know, there was a natural, you know, it's funny, though, because the uh, when I started looking at my drawings, I could see when the cell phone appears. And okay. uh, when you went back. It, yeah, OK. Yeah. And so like early on when I first started doing it, when I was still in college, you know, people weren't always on their smartphones. Like people still read on trains. People were doing different activities. Like sometimes they would have a, a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then it just becomes drawings of people on their phones. Yeah. Like that's that's one of the cultural changes like during that period. Definitely. I didn't even think about that, but definitely because I, I guess I stopped before everybody had a cell phone and they def- if they did, it definitely didn't work in the subway yet um yeah yeah okay so we we only we only got a minute to go and i always leave the model out but (laughs) do you want to give the model like one one tip before we give them your website and then let them go um yeah um models thank you that is really hard work um i have i have sat in a chair before and tried to be still and it's it's a lot more difficult than um people give it credit for so thank you um for tips, I just I kind of just like models to be themselves, like push it a little bit. Um, you know, wear wear the fun clothes, like take the dramatic poses. Um, I'm fond of lighting. I like the sort of John Singer Sargent 10 p.m. 10 o'clock lighting. You know, coming into the three quarter angle. Um, that's because the, then the drawing kind of makes itself. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we we ran through that time fast. Uh, Anne Marshall, thank you for joining us. Uh, your website oh, you're is Anne, annemarshallart.com. And your social is the, can they also find you on, what's your social? Um, you can find me at Anne Marshall Art on Instagram. Okay. And, and I also, yeah, and on a Behance, if anybody has a Behance account, a, I'm a also Behance. on that. Okay, we'll get yeah, that, it and that, we'll... we'll <laughs> Well, Behance is the uh, Adobe uh, portfolio sharing program. Okay. So if anybody uh, does like digital work, um, it's uh, but it's it's Behance is very international, which is which is nice. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a little bit more commercial based, but there's some great work on it. Okay. Uh, so on Behance, on Instagram, and on the normal World Wide Web. Uh, and Marshall, thank you so much.